0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we continue tonight in the uh, theme of faith and feelings, looking at how our uh, life of discipleship involves uh, emotional uh, behavior as well as intellectual knowledge, how our sanctified life of discipleship Uh, deals with the various feelings and emotions that we have as human beings because that's who God created us as human beings. And today we come to uh, the emotion of anger. Kind of a goofy font, but as I was scrolling through the options, I found one that's titled Expletive Deleted, and I thought that might be an appropriate font for this particular evening. Uh, again, as always, this is a broad overview. We're looking at, at examples in general that for complex and abstract emotions that um, you can't really address the, the completely or entirely in a sermon, uh, but hopefully can get an idea of how God's Word does connect to uh, that. And uh, the specific passages from God's Word that we're going to highlight, though many will be involved. Ephesians 4 and Romans 12. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And to the church in Rome, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Which is a quote from Deuteronomy 32. Uh, Anger, uh, is one that uh, Scripture, the the basic gist of Scripture's message to us, it says, be careful. In fact, uh, be very careful, and for good reason, uh, because anger can be a very uh, destructive and dangerous uh, emotion. And, and we can detail broadly, this is true of all of the emotions we're talking about, that the general heading of the basic emotion of anger involves a whole spectrum and range of different responses from annoyed, irritated, maybe even irked or perturbed, if you want to throw those in there, frustrated, upset, to mad, angry, furious, and enraged at its peak. And they they may express different levels on a range or spectrum of emotion, but it, it's also particularly true in the case of anger, I think, where it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You know the old campfire song, right? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. Soon all those up around, around can warm up and it's glowing. That's how it is with God's love, but it's also how it is with our anger, only uh, people don't warm up and it's glowing, they're consumed by the fiery inferno of its heat. And uh, we can see so many examples, sadly, of the destructive power uh, of anger, where harsh words are spoken that can never be taken back, uh, where physical violence I may result and physical bodily harm. That's just an impact it can have on others. It can be almost equally dangerous to ourselves uh, as when we internalize that and hold in that resentment or bitterness. That's a kind of anger that some people say is a poison you take hoping someone else will die. Uh, In our anger at others, uh, we can actually poison our own ability to enjoy uh, life, to have any joy or peace in life, and uh, wreak destruction and havoc on ourselves. It's in some ways a a similar response, ultimately, to the sadness and fear uh, that we've already talked about, that where fear tends to run away, although there is a fight response as well as flight, anger just says to fight. In that response, it's kind of the polar opposite of sadness, where sadness sees a problem and says, I want to feel better. Anger sees a problem and says, I want someone else to feel worse. Uh, That anger is a, a... uh, motivation to lash out uh, typically and can therefore obviously do great harm. But well, The thing is, it's actually popular in our culture. It's literally a part of pop culture. If you know much about movies, you're familiar with a, a genre, uh, a whole uh, theme of movies called the Vigilante Action Thriller, uh, like uh, this poster I just pulled up uh, of a movie literally called Revenge. Uh, if you're a history buff or you just like the, like the old movies or are around for them, you may remember Charles Bronson back in 1974 with the hit movie Death Wish. Which was controversial because it seemed to glorify vigilanteism. A man uh, who uh, responded to an attack and harm done to his family by going out and just going crazy, killing people responsible. Uh, It wasn't actually that novel. The whole idea of vengeance is a theme of probably 40, 50% of Westerns. Uh, But uh, this was kind of a phenomenon and so popular that it actually sparked four sequels uh, following up on it. And uh, like we said, a whole genre that continues to this day. Movies like Kill Bill, all about getting back. Man on Fire with Denzel Washington. John Wick uh, recently with Keanu Reeves. Uh, in just the past couple of years, uh, we've got movies titled Vengeance is Mine, Vendetta, Measure of Revenge, in any number of movies that maybe don't have revenge in the title, but dwell on a theme of getting back at somebody, uh, whether it was for a brutal crime committed in the past or for stealing a boyfriend or something like that. Uh, and people like it. People love it. Our culture eats it up with a spoon because that's f- satisfying, They say, yeah, they got him back. They got even. Justice was done. And that's what's oftentimes really at the heart of it, is that desire for justice or something like it. Because they don't make movies about someone who uh, cut in line at the movie theater and so the hero went on a bloody rampage. It's usually some horrible crime. I don't know if you can see from there. I, I tried to make it as big as I could. The, the expression in this actress's face is so hurt. There's a little tear even coming out of her eye. Because in a lot of cases, the, there's something really wrong that motivates that desire for revenge. Some deep, deep hurt. Uh, and something within us justifiably craves that kind of wrong to be put right. Even if it means rampant bloodshed. No matter how much harm is done, it's justice. The Bible actually warns us against this desire, though, to set ourselves up as judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, Psalm 37 uh, says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carried out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who... Who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. God's justice will be done. The psalmist reminds us that God's justice will be done. But when we take matters in our own hands to repay evil with evil, it only leads to more evil. James writes the same way in the New Testament. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Paul writes to the Colossians. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Put it away. Get rid of it. Jesus puts it most pointedly in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now again, we should probably uh, put this in the context and re- remember uh, that we're not talking about that that flare of just the, the immediate response of anger when you... Hear something that is awful, something that should not be done. You think, that is terrible. Something should be done for that. Well, like we say in regard to any number of temptations, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Uh, Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. Don't respond to that, let that anger out in the form of sinful behavior. And do not hold on to that anger and let the the sun go down on your wrath so that you maintain that anger day after day. And in Jesus' words, that pattern of escalation uh, from the liable to judgment, to liable to the council, to liable to the hell of fire. Don't keep this angry behavior compounding to be angry with your brother and then to insult your brother and then to condemn your brother. That we are to turn away from anger. Uh, to uh, refrain from anger and turn away from wrath. Uh, going back to Psalm 37 means that when we experience anger, don't hold on to it. And embrace it. And that. I I got in trouble for not making an obvious Star Wars reference last uh, week, so uh, I'll go ahead and make it this week. That way leads to the dark side. God doesn't call us uh, to be angry. What's interesting, though, is that God's wrath is a consistent theme in Scripture. Scripture. You may know, you think, well, if it's not good to be angry, well, then God must never be angry, right? Well, actually, it turns out that God's angry quite a lot. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's any number of references to God's wrath being poured out, uh, especially in regards to the destruction of Jerusalem and the Babylonian captivity, which the prophets over and over again uh, warned of and then described as the expression of God's wrath against sin, the judgment necessary on the people's rebellion against God. In 2 Kings 22, it's put this way uh, by God who says, Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. Uh, that microcosm of judgment in the uh, destruction of Jerusalem and the Babylonian captivity is uh, seen by the prophets as well as a f- foreshadowing of the ultimate judgment, uh, where all, the whole first chapter of Zephaniah speaks of the destruction of, of all the earth, a complete end uh, to man and animals and the land itself uh, because of God's judgment. And the New Testament. Uh, Focus is more along that theme as well, and pointing to the judgment uh, on Judgment Day. One of the interesting trivia verses of the Bible is that Matthew uh, chapter three verse seven and Luke chapter three verse seven are identical. Uh, that there's a lot of similarity between all the synoptic Gospels, but in this case, it actually lines up where they're saying the same thing in the same chapter and verse. Uh, so you can cite it either as Matthew or Luke 3, seven. Uh, you brood of vipers, John the Baptist says to the Pharisees, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Because there is wrath to come. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Uh, That the same rebellion against God that provoked his wrath in the Old Testament still provokes his wrath in the New Testament. And Paul makes us a, a specific list in Colossians chapter 3. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. It has a little bit of a guy on the street corner with a sign feel to it, doesn't it? The wrath of God is coming! Uh, We don't often preach that way from the pulpit. We like to focus on grace. And yet, it is nevertheless true uh, that the day of wrath is coming. The book of Revelation, as you might expect, speaks extensively about it. Revelation chapter 14 and 19 God's wrath on the day of judgment is depicted in terms of a uh, wine press, where we get the expressions from, like the famous book, The Grapes of Wrath, and the famous line from the Battle Hymn of the Republic He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Uh, a reference to those passages in Revelation. Uh, in Revelation uh, 14 and 16, uh, it's expressed that those who practice idolatry will drink the cup of God's wrath and all uh, the whole chapter 15 the, from beginning to end is about God's seven golden bowls of God's wrath being poured out on the earth god is angry and the day of his wrath will come But God's anger is not without restraint. God isn't just some hothead with a temper who flies off the handle as soon as, as someone sins. In fact, uh, his uh, restraint is so great, uh, basically, all of Psalm 78 is about it. Uh, and it's a long psalm, this is in the middle. Uh, verses 37 and 38, after detailing the history of Israel, how they routinely and consistently rebelled against God and complained. And God nevertheless disciplined them, but also continued to show favor to them. And it sums it up most clearly, although, like I said, there are several references throughout the chapter. By saying that their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. Because he is a just God, he is justifiably angry at sin. And yet he is not ruled by his anger. He's not governed by his wrath. But he restrains his anger often and does not stir up all his wrath. In fact, in the New Testament, we see the greatest picture of his restraint as he gives up his only son Gives up his very life to save us uh, from the day of wrath. First uh, Thessalonians one is an awkward uh, passage to cite because it's the end of a very long run on sentence, um, but uh, simply put, it refers to Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The wrath is coming. But Jesus does deliver us from God's wrath uh, by covering us with the atoning sacrifice of his blood. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come and in so doing comes to us, you could argue, as kind of the the anti-vigilante. The Hollywood types might shudder at the a waste of a good potential storyline. I think the Hollywood types shudder a lot at the Bible in general. But Jesus comes to earth and does not follow the Hollywood script. He could so easily painted in a very different way as the vigilante action thriller. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets and kill those who are sent to you. Now it's payback time. The reckoning is here. God has come to earth, and he will demand the blood of all those who have opposed him. The atrocities that have been committed against his servants, he's going to get even. But instead of leaving a trail of bloody Pharisees behind him, Jesus goes to the cross and allows himself to be a brutally Tortured and killed. You might consider him the very anti-vigilante, but if you actually recognize what's going on in context, you would be the ultimate vigilante because he's bringing about the ultimate brand of justice that Jesus is coming to bring a justice greater than just inflicting suffering on those who have inflicted suffering on others. The, the punishment of, of evildoers isn't unjust, but it's also not the ultimate justice. Think I'm, since I'm making nerdy references tonight in the uh, book, The Lord of the Rings... Uh, character Frodo wishes, says it's a pity uh, that uh, the uh, Bilbo didn't kill Gollum, uh, the little mischievous creature earlier in the, the book. And Gandalf the wise wizard says pity is exactly what stayed his hand. Uh, many live who deserve death and, and many die who deserve to live. Can you give it to them, that life to them? Don't be hasty to inflict death and judgment. Well, behind all the kind of strange names, The Lord of the Rings was written by a devout Christian, J.A.R. Tolkien, uh, who himself said that it was a concretely Christian book uh, with Christian themes that he had written inadvertently into it originally, but upon revision made intentional. Uh, in this case, I think highlights that death is not the ultimate justice because death was never a part of God's plan for creation, and justice is God's will being done. God's will is the greatest form of justice, and it is not God's will uh, that the wicked should perish, but that all should repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. That the punishment of evil isn't unjust, and it could, in a sense, be called justice. But the greatest justice isn't that the murderer is put in prison, but that the person who is murdered is restored to life. That's true justice being done. That's evil being solved. And that's exactly what Jesus comes to do. Not just to bring death to the wicked, but to bring life to the world. To restore his broken and dying world. To make it what it really should be, what it really ought to be. A place where death has been overcome and life has the victory. And to that end, he comes and takes justice in his own two hands. Very literally. He takes all the injustice of the world and says, put it here and put it here. And he suffers the greatest injustice as a perfect life is put to death on the cross. He suffers all injustice as he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he does it to bring about the greatest justice. As he prays on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. His brand of justice is vindicated when he rises from the dead on the third day and 40 days after that is exalted to the right hand of the Father in heaven. Showing us his life-giving justice, the victory of life over death, is true justice. When we look at what makes God angry and what God did about it, it has a way of putting our own anger into perspective. Like I said, there can be serious things that cause us legitimate and justifiable anger. But let's be honest, if we were on Family Feud and the top five things that make people angry, what would be your guesses? Traffic, the chiefs doing poorly, uh, something to do with toilet seats or toothpaste tubes. Is this really stuff to get angry over? Or is this stuff where you say, just don't be angry over that. Why are you angry over that? We get our priorities mixed up. We want to put ourselves in the position of God. How dare you do that to me? No one should ever inconvenience me. Anything that inconveniences me must be evil. Well, Sometimes uh, there are Bigger issues, sometimes those little issues, actually, when you you track them down, uh, end up being about something else entirely, that the toothpaste cap is not really about the toothpaste cap, it's about the vacation back in 1995 or something like that. Uh, But that's why it's important to to track those things down, to, to actually ask when we're angry, what am I responding to? Is this something that's a legitimate complaint of injustice, or is this something that's just a perceived injustice, something that's more about my insecurity than someone else's wrongdoing? Am I maybe even angry at someone else entirely, maybe angry at myself, and taking that out on somebody else? And of course, once we actually track down what the uh, roots are of these abstract, complex emotions, then Uh, we can also ask, what do I do about it? And usually it's a little more straightforward when you identify where it's coming from. Unleashing on somebody and just lashing out, I think we know is not helpful. Staying angry and holding it inside is bitterness or resentment. Again, we know is not helpful. But in some cases, there are those situations, like we said, that's not just about a, a... toilet seat not being put down or the trash not being taken out, where it's instead of being cut off in traffic, it's having a loved one whose life was cut off by a drunk driver Uh, instead of a a spouse who uh, didn't take out the garbage. It's that they're going out with somebody else. Uh, The betrayal, uh, for example, which is the theme of our psalm that we uh, spoke earlier tonight, in which we could see uh, David's deep sense of hurt and even anger. What do we do about that? Rather than holding on to it or lashing out. Remember Romans chapter 12. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And making room for God's wrath and justice means making room for forgiveness. Which is part of God's expression of how he uh, has brought about justice. Which is a good thing for us. Because as much as we maybe have been hurt by others, we are not innocent ourselves. And if those who hurt me are uh, liable to God's wrath, then I am just as much for how I hurt others. Or maybe even contributed to the original problem. And recognizing that we're all under the umbrella of God's wrath and that as I seek safety in Christ and his forgiveness, to extend that to others is the next natural thing. And it's the most freeing thing. And this I can tell you from personal experience. Uh, When you're, you're really mad at somebody, to just stop and pray, Father, forgive them. it's almost magical to feel a burden being lifted off your shoulders and say, wow, I did not even realize I was carrying that weight on myself in the form of my own anger. Uh, That burden of seeing myself as judge and jury and executioner, which I don't have to be, but can give it to God and say, God, you you make justice out of this. You make this right. You make it okay. You take care of it. And in your grace, can you even just forgive them and make it beautiful for everyone? That's such a freeing thing and such a healing thing for the hurt that has been done to you. The other aspect of how we respond is from Ephesians chapter 4. Again, where Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That the the nature of anger is act now decisively. Uh, That when you get angry, you want to just fight right now. That's why people tell you, stop and count to 10, right? Uh, In some ways, that that spontaneous energy to go and duke it out right away can be a good thing. Uh, Because it can be a motivation uh, that we can channel, not towards sin, towards lashing out explosively and trying to harm or do damage, but to doing good. To use that energy to say, something ought to be done about this. And I'm going to do it. But not something hurtful. Something good. Going back to Romans chapter 12, Paul expresses it very clearly. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, fighting fire with fire may work with actual fire, but it doesn't work in actual fighting. You probably were told, like I was at a very early age, two wrongs don't make a right. And it's still true that we don't overcome evil by it trading evil in return, but by doing good. Uh, to take action to love your enemy which is also a pretty potent thing Jesus said in the sermon on the mount to be kind to those who hurt you or if you're angry about something someone else someone did to someone else to go and resolve that situation to help the person who's been injured and in one of the textbook Examples of this uh, on a larger scale, I think, is how uh, people, and I think the church especially, deals with and has dealt with uh, the problem with abortion in our country. Uh, That is justifiably angering uh, for those who say, how can you as a doctor, take the Hippocratic Oath and uh, first do no harm and then advertise your services to kill an unborn child. How can that be right? How can that be condoned? Even celebrated? Well, at times that anger has taken the form of violence. Do you, who remembers the George Tiller uh, shooting back in 2009? An abortion doctor who was shot as he was serving as an usher in his church. Uh, more recently, just last year in Peoria, Illinois, Planned Parenthood, her, her Planned Parenthood Clinic uh, was set on fire. Is that how we're supposed to deal with our anger? Oh. No. God says, Be angry and do not sin. Instead of shooting people and setting buildings on fire, maybe work through the proper channels. Like uh, we already talked about last week in Romans 13, that the government is a servant of God, an agent of his wrath to punish the evildoer, to work for good legislation uh, that uh, prevents doctors from being agents of death rather than agents of healing. Uh, or to help those who are hurting by opening ministries to women who have had an abortion and are struggling with the guilt. Or opening crisis pregnancy centers uh, for women uh, to have an opportunity to choose life. What's true on the social level it is true of our individual lives as well. And when we get angry, at times, that's just something we need to say. Let's get set our priorities right and just not be angry about this. And other times, we have to say that's there's a real injustice here. But the way to deal with this isn't to take uh, responsibility in my own hands, uh, but to give that to God. Uh, to trust His justice and His judgment. And to pray that the uh, the greatest resolution can come about, not just the punishment of the evildoer, but their forgiveness. And then to take action in such ways as we can uh, to bring healing and forgiveness out of a situation. That's where we can see uh, the greatest kind of healing and the greatest kind of justice. As God works powerfully Uh, through Christ, uh, to redeem us uh, from uh, both the wrath of others now and the wrath of God to come. And may that peace that is beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we await the day of his glorious return. Amen.